Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip hop anymore. I say that, and uh, my heart, as I said, goes out to those over east. And certainly, uh, if there are any international listeners as well, my heart goes out to you in whatever part of the world that you're listening from. Thank you very much for for subscribing and, and checking in on this particular show. All right. Uh, on this particular episode, I get to catch up with one of the uh, major figureheads of Australian cinema, Roger Ward. He is the star of the uh, many, many different Australian films. He's featured in Mad Max. He was the exceptional villain in Brian Trenchard Smith's Turkey Shoot. He was also in Trenchard Smith's Man from Hong Kong. I know him uh, probably is the first time I ever saw him as the guy who was trying to bake the kittens in a pie in Yahoo Sirius's Young Einstein, the absolute classic film that it is. And he is in a new film. Uh, he plays King Dougie in James D. Martino's The Faceless Man, which is going to be available around the world uh, for people to watch and check out. Uh, so certainly... Um, yeah, there's a lot to enjoy about this particular discussion, and certainly I really enjoy being able to talk to Roger. Uh, he is a, a fantastic person to talk to, and is very open about uh, his process and and his place in Australian uh, film history and things like that. And one of the things which we touch on as well is talking about his roles and and certainly talking about his roles in Australian TV as well. And there is an interesting tidbit that he talks about there, which I think you'll find quite curious. Uh, and you know, one of the things which I found fascinating was that you know for so much of Australian uh, 
history, film history and TV history, uh, we do do a, a fairly okay job of retaining the Australian film history, but we do a fairly terrible job of retaining Australian TV history. A lot of it was recorded directly onto videotapes and either re-recorded over or just simply thrown out or deleted uh, or burnt in some situations. Uh, and while we do have a lot of the iconic shows from that era still around in many regards, um, country practice, uh, water rats, things like that. Uh, there are still a lot of shows from the 70s and 80s that just simply haven't made that transition across. And we talk about that a little bit briefly as well. I think it's really fascinating. In fact, I find this whole conversation really fascinating. I was really grateful to be able to have a chat to Roger about his work and, and talking about how he approaches roles and things like that. I think you'll be interested to hear that. Uh, enough of me. I've been blathering on a little bit too much. Um, Again, I hope you're all staying safe. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Roger Ward. Uh, the Faceless Man will be available internationally uh, right now, I believe it is. Uh, so if you're into independent Australian horror films, uh, it's there to check out. Uh, enjoy the conversation. You know, it was just supposed to be me and you going away this weekend. This is a good town with good people. This is Charlie Lamont's house. Who are you? <laughs> Charlie's long gone. Edward Silverbeard, but you can call me Eddie. Whatever you do, don't go into the workshop. <laughs> well, let's let's start chatting then. Let's start chatting about... Um, I mean, the first film that we kind of need to talk about, I guess, is um, The Faceless Man, um, which is part of the whole whole reason we're having a chat but um i'm curious how you came on board with this film and and what kind of enticed you about uh james's vision for the film right well first of all i get a lot of young guys young directors contacting me uh through the web uh over the last 20 years and mostly young up-and-coming filmmakers and asking me to help out in any way uh i work with them if they pay me money i don't if they don't pay because I, I, often they do ask me to do it for no charge whatsoever. But with James, we got together on the internet and we started to exchange emails and I read his script. I liked it a lot. And uh, we, we continued our conversations with each other. He said, would you like to be in it? I said, yeah, any parts you like. I wouldn't do anything in there just to be involved. And he, well, I was going to play another part in the film and uh, I read King Dougie, the character, and I liked him very much. And I said to him, who's playing King Dougie, by the way? I like that character. And uh, he said he wanted John Jarrett for the role. And would I ring John? Because he he didn't know how to contact him. So John's a mate of mine. So I asked Johnny to, uh, to have a look at the script and have a chat to James. But Johnny didn't want to do it for some reason. Just too close to too close to um, Wolf Creek, he felt. He felt he would get off the subject of uh, Wolf Creek. And also the money that he wasn't <laughs> wasn't brilliant money. Uh, they never are with the young up and comers, you know. But uh, it's good to help them out, you know. It's not it's not MGM stuff. But so Johnny didn't do it, and uh, so uh, James said to me, "You seemed interested in King Dougie." I said, "Yeah, I, I do like him very much. I love the character." He said, "Would you like to play him?" I said, "Bloody oath, I'd, I'd love to." So we forgot about the other part, and uh, I we went ahead and changed a few things with this one and I ended up with King Dougie and uh, I'm very pleased that I did because I did like that character from the very first reading of the script and I feel it's like got the same content as 
books in stone or Fifi and Bad Max and a lot of the people I played characters in had that feeling of a you know characterization that would last and be identified or recognized yeah. well what what draws you to those kinds of characters what is uh, what was that again what, was... what what draws you to those kinds of characters what what oh. interests you in them well really it's the it's the uh, the offer is there and if the money's there I'll, I'll do it no matter the character but when I get a good character like those I put my own little piece into it and do what I can, and uh, I, I just feel that the characters need a certain thing, and I do it, and uh, I just enjoy doing it. So it's the the writing gets me, but then I add my little touch to it, and uh, and it sometimes ends up as a as a nice character and memorable character. But there's a hell of a lot of films I've done that no one even knows about or wants to know about. So there's only a few that have ended up being pop, uh, pop, uh, you know, pop popular. And so uh, out of the many films that I've done, there's only maybe ten or so that have got a really cult following. How does that? How does that impact you as a as a person too? Like having, you know, received. You've, as you're saying, you've done a lot of roles and you've received this cult status as an actor and a, as a figure in Australian film. How do how do you how do you deal with that? What, what's your kind of uh, perception of that in uh, the role of Australian cinema? I, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the uh, contact in the public. Like I get a lot of people contacting me worldwide now with the World Wide Web, and I'm very pleased with the World Wide Web because if we didn't have it, I would not know of my popularity. Again, I'm not bragging here, but I mean, I would not know of my popularity with the general public in America, Europe, England and uh, all over the world. And, you, and they contact me by, by, by internet, and I get to know that the people like my work. So I'm very pleased with that. But it doesn't affect my lifestyle. I still take the rubbish bins out. I still get abused by my <laughs> wife, you know, and uh, <laughs> told to shave. Uh, you know, so I, I don't get any uh, high ideals about myself. And financially, these films that I'm doing, a lot of them, even though they're cult classics, they were very lowly paid. And so I didn't make a million dollars out of them that the American boys might have made and could sit back and relax now. But, you know, we can't in Australia. The money's not there. It wasn't there. And it won't be there, I think, for a while now. So, uh, no, I, I just enjoy the, the role and I enjoy being recognised. I even had a guy sitting on an international flight. He claims he was on an international flight. He read an article, magazine in the plane, and couldn't wait to write to me on the plane above the Atlantic, but I often wonder whether he's bullshitting or not because how could you send an email from <laughs> a mile above the Atlantic? But it was nice of him to say that anyway. But he said, yeah. I couldn't wait to write to you, you know. So, uh, but you get this. I just love the, I love the recognition, yeah. Uh, it's not, not because I'm an egomaniac, although I am, it's not, but it's not because of that. I just like people to like my work and I like to talk to people. And, People get a surprise that I respond to them, and you know we end up having we're becoming friends on Facebook and having chats about the family and so on. So it's it's quite nice feeling to have that responsibility or that feeling of camaraderie with people around the world. You know. Well, I guess I mean for me, like I've seen your work, 
ever since I was growing up, I think probably the earliest was, you know, you, I didn't know who you were at the time, but watching young Einstein over and over and over again, and you play a pretty iconic moment in that film that mm. has stuck in a lot of people's minds as kind of this villainous man making a pie and stuff like that. So mm. I knew of you before I knew of you and you've always been there for me in Australian film. And mm. I see that your kind of relationship, like, you know, in the, the, the Ausploitation era and the new wave era and things like that to now working with filmmakers like James, you've, mm. you've been kind of this grandfather of Australian film, um, which yeah. is really nice to see. It's great. Um, what kind of uh, guidance do you give to these new filmmakers who are coming to you to have you appear in their films? Well, respect. I, I expect respect. I expect respect, and everybody should should have it. And as a matter of fact, I just worked in a film on the weekend, uh, and the respect shown from the young director and the first assistant director, not only to me, but to every member of the cast, uh, the the crew. There's only two in the cast, actually. There's two hands of me and another girl, me and a girl. Uh, but the respect that they have with each other in the close confines of the shooting. Uh, in this case, a, a farmhouse, and just to show the respect to each other, it's lovely to see in this day and age where respect has gone out of the window a bit, but it's still there in the film industry, and uh, they treat each other with reverence, and they, they respect their positions on the set, and uh, it's just that. I just I, I, I say respect is a big thing in the industry, and uh, not to get carried away with your own importance and not to think that because you're the director, you know everything, you know, listen. So I do. Um, I don't actually preach to them, but I do it by actions, and they see what I do, and they understand what I'm trying to in indicate. So I do it by by showing them what to do, really, but not, not by lecturing, you know. Yeah, yeah, just a... Uh, bringing your your experience, the the you know the many years of experience that you've got to the set would I imagine would would be a huge uh, benefit for them and and a huge lesson as well of of how to work with experienced actors too. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you look back through your career as well, what kind of performances have stuck with you that you cherish the most that you hold up and and say you know these are the ones that, that I, I, you know, think are the best that I've done. What what kind of performances have, have you uh, held on to the most, I guess? Well, there's a, there's a, a lot of my films I, I, were just done for the money, but I didn't uh, throw the role away. I, I still put my heart and soul into it, even though the script was disastrous or the characterization that they wanted me to play was out of, out of this world. But I always did what I could and made the best of what I had on the page. So I've always done that. So I've, I've never felt guilty about letting anybody down. But there are not many films that I like that I've done. I mean, every film I've ever done, I think, has got a weak spot in it. And I'm talking about Mad from Hong Kong, even Mad Max and uh, Little Stone. Uh, they've all got a weak spot. And I haven't seen uh, this one, Faceless Man, enough. I've only seen it once. Uh, to know that there's any weak spots in there. But I've never actually been in a film that I think is 100% perfect, you know. But my, my characterization in the film, again, without bragging, I thought I'd done the best I could do with what I had, you know. So I'm pleased with my performance as such, but not pleased with the overall film. 
and uh, in in pretty well every case. But there was a lot of television that I've done that I liked. One particular one, a Matlock Police, was a show called Titch, T-I-T-C-H. I loved my character in that, and I thought I did a good job. And, and my very first homicide, my first major role on television was called uh, The Wild Cockatoo. That was done 52 or three years ago. Uh, I haven't forgotten. That was a great part. I don't know what the rest of the show was like, but I do remember my part was good, and I do remember seeing it first time and loved it, you know, because I was playing a straight, normal guy, uh, leading man type man. And uh, these are things that stick into my mind, not necessarily the whole production, but my performance, you know. That's what I look at, my performance. And if that's good, I don't care what happens to the film. I know I haven't let anybody down, you know. Mm. I wonder as well, because a lot of the films that you've done are readily available, but a lot of the TV shows have kind of, uh, not disappeared, but they've kind of faded away a little bit and, and been yeah. not been readily available, which is a real shame because, you know, you're talking about these TV shows with such reverence and I, I want to be able to seek them out. How mm. important is it for you that, you know, your work is available to people to see and to um, basically approach and watch and, and get an understanding of Australian film history and Australian TV history as well? How important is that for you? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, I'd like it to happen. It, it doesn't really uh, worry me a great deal uh, that people aren't watching it, but I would like them to watch it. Um, but the other day, strangely enough, a young, I'm, I'm working with a young writer on a couple of projects I write as well, and he's a young guy, and he, he happened to see that I had a great big pile of VHSs. He said, what are you doing with the VHSs? I said, oh, they're my, most of my old shows, you know, in the cupboard. He said, well, do you watch them? I said, no, I can't. He said, well, I've got a converter. I converted the DVD, if you like. So he's now doing it. And he's sending me over the <laughs> he's sending me over the DVDs. And I can't believe it. I can't remember even doing these shows. I can see maybe one or two scenes I'll remember, but the rest of them I just don't remember doing. And the performances are really good, not just mine. I mean, everybody's talking about Cop Shop. I'm talking about Special Squad. Uh, oh, I can't think of them. But some of the performances in those days, the 70s, 80s, from everybody, were very good, you know, very high-quality stuff. And uh, I'm very pleased to see it, because I've forgotten about them, you know. I, as I say, hardly remember doing the damn things. And uh, it's quite uh, quite nice to see. But I believe the uh, film and television uh, down in Canberra archives have got a lot of stuff down. That's not for the general public, you know, they can't see it. And uh, this, this young director, the young writer, was just saying to me, it's a pity that the, in this COVID lockdown that they didn't re-release all of these old shows because the general public would love to see them all these 80s and 70s shows that they could probably show for pretty well hardly much outlay you know channel 9 channel 10 whoever they could probably get them and replay them for a small outlay they'd probably get a good coverage you know yeah definitely and certainly i know that there would be a lot of stuff that uh you know i i growing up and and watching those kinds of shows and you know it's been 30 almost 40 years since being able to see them and, and to, to watch them would be absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I, uh, it'd be great to just know what the, the TV shows were like in that era and to see those great performances, because as you're saying, there's so much in there that was brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea. I didn't remember it being that good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to touch on the set as well, because that recently became available for the first time in a very long time. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, what what's that like? Bringing that back to life because uh, it's such a it's a monumental film. It's it's a really really major film for Australian history. So what's that like? Bringing it back to life in the modern age. Well, it's good. I love it. I love the, I love the feeling of being out there. Um, the book, of course, was out in twenty eleven, and uh, uh, twenty yeah, eleven, I think it was. And uh, then, of course, the DVD came out at the beginning of this year, I think it was, and. Uh, so it's nice to uh, it's nice to get the recognition from the DVD and the and the book, and a lot of Americans are writing to me now about that, saying, "Oh, you know, you've really opened my eyes up to the to the world of well, in this case, homosexuality." Or not that the book's about that totally; it's about everything in that every aspect of life. But the, the the DVD or the film made from the book does dwell on homosexuality. But I'm getting letters from young young guys in America who want to be writers and saying, oh, God, you've influenced me, and I, I, the way you wrote your novel, I, I want to copy that style, you know, and ask me how I did it and why I did it. And uh, and actually, I just started reading the book. The young director I was with on the weekend, he put a copy of the book in the film that I'm working on on my bedside table as a sort of a momentum, a memento. And I, I took interest in it that night because I was sleeping on the set I was sleeping in the same bed, the bed that I was playing a character. So that night when I went to bed, I, I started to read the text. And I read about 30 pages. And I was really happy with it. I thought, my God, this holds up well. And it was written 50, well, let me hate to say it. Actually, I started writing it 60 years ago. And it was published 50 years ago. Uh, it was made into a film 50 years ago. So it's, it's held up really well. I'm quite pleased with it, you know. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a film which I've obviously only just seen, and I, I appreciate its its importance in in film history. I haven't read the book, and I'll, I'll I'll certainly need to seek it out because I'm curious to, having seen your performances, I'm curious to read your writing as well. Um, hmm. What what's the 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 challenge for you, being a writer versus being an actor, and all this kind of stuff? Is there was there ever really a desire to uh, be one thing, or is it kind of a desire to be all kinds of different things, acting, directing, yeah. writing. Yeah, I'm not interested in directing. I've only done it once. I'm not interested in that. Producing, I like. I like producing. I like the I like the organising of the producing side. Um, I don't like the raising of funds on the production side. I don't like to do that. I don't like to ask for money from people. I, but I, that's what you've got to do as a producer, unfortunately. But the writing, I love writing. But I've never made that much money from writing. I've written... I've had two films made and uh, uh, but never made a massive amount of money. You made money, but not money that I've made as an actor. I've made a lot of money as an actor. And uh, uh, so I've acted because that's where the money is. But I would rather make a lot of money from writing. And I don't think I'd give the acting up because I enjoy that. But I do like writing a lot. And uh, I keep at it. I I work on other people's scripts now. I edit and and uh, rewrite and my wife is a, a journalist and she she does all the once i finish she takes over and puts her input in so we're a team together so we make money out of that not a not a lot of money but i've got a lot of scripts in my drawer here that i've written uh film scripts that i've written and uh i get other scripts from other people asking me to help them out and I'm, I'm i'm co-writing two scripts now one with a film an american guy one from a local guy here so I'm still writing all the time, but I'm making money as an actor mostly. You know. Mm. Well, I mean, 
I imagine that's got to be the hard thing as well as getting those scripts off the ground in Australia because, as yeah. you're saying, it's so low budget here and it's so hard to get films yeah. made nowadays. Um, oh, it's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking about The Face- Faceless Man in particular, like that was done with crowdfunding. How much yeah. have you had experience with the crowdfunding uh, platform None in Australia? None at, None at all. None at all. None at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't contemplate it. I just don't like asking for money. I've never have in my past, and uh, I never will. I, I've given my work to producers who have raised the money, and how they've raised it, I don't know or care. I just don't like asking for money, and I'll never go for crowdfunding, although I admire James for doing what he did, and he put his own money in, and his, his fellow producers put their money in, and I admire what James did, and I admire people who do it, but I just won't do it. Maybe I'm a lazy old bastard, I don't know, but I think that it's just my pride won't allow me to ask for money if I can't do it under my own steam or if it's not good enough for a major production company to take it on board, I won't do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm not so, knocking James for what he did. I'm not knocking James for this. I'm bloody pleased he did what he did because it's now paying dividends, and uh, uh, but I, I just can't do it myself. Yeah, look, I completely understand. I think it's uh, the, the difference... Uh, in you know, in the seventies filmmaking, where you yeah. just kind of had to do what you did and yeah. get what you did off the, the you know your bootstrap and stuff, and nowadays it's it's just the, the changing society and the way of uh, of filmmaking has changed over the, the years. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it quite interesting to see how filmmakers have adjusted, um, and especially in the genre field in horror and action and things like that it seems to be uh you know getting as much of that done have, do you have a personal interest in action films and genre films and horror films and things like that uh, is that your your what kind of excites you as a as somebody watching films yeah well horror was never a, 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 an interest to me uh action was action adventure yeah good fight scenes good car chases uh running, jumping, standing still stuff, love that. But horror has suddenly came upon me uh, the last 20-odd years, probably. Uh, you know, you could call young Einstein horror uh, in a way. My character was a horrific-type character, but not a horror film as such. I have since done quite a few in the 20s, in the in this century. I've done a few horror films. But some of them haven't been released yet. I've made them, and they haven't been released. Others uh, I've made, like Boar, for instance. I did Boar. That was considered a uh, horror film. Uh, and, but I, I, I'm doing horror films because they're being offered. I'm not selecting them. I'm not going out of my way to look for them. And if, if, a, if a romantic love story came up, I'd probably grab that too. You know, it's not that I <laughs> want to do horror films. I'm just doing because they're offered, and I need the money, and I like the money, so I'll do them. As long as yeah, the money's yeah. there, I'll do them, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I oh, want to yeah. talk... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I, I want to talk about your work with different directors as well, what what it's like working with... I mean, you've worked with some major Australian filmmakers, uh, George Miller, Brian Trenchard-Smith, and, of course, um, Yahoo Sirius as well. What's that experience like working with these major directors? How, how have you... How did they help you grow as an actor uh, working with them? Well, Brian Trenchard-Smith I met um, before he, he, he before he was a filmmaker. He was making trailers for the, for the big movie houses. He, he was an editor, and he worked for Channel 9. 
and uh, I came over. I, I came from South Australia originally, but I was living in Sydney, on and off. And I happened to drive over from Adelaide with Grant Page, who ended up being a stuntman on Mad from Hong Kong and uh, Mad Max. And he said, "Come and meet Francois Smith. He's a director, up and coming, and he's going to do a, a documentary on stuntmen." And I'm working in it, and you know maybe you'll get a spot on it too. So we went to Trencho's house in Be- Bellevue Hill here in New South Wales about 11 o'clock at night, and burst into his unit. And he was in bed with some young bird, and he wasn't too impressed with us bursting in. <laughs> so it wasn't a very good introduction to Trenchard, but uh, we, we were okay in the end. And then we did this um, the stuntman, a documentary called The Stuntman, in which I played a character and. We won the award, the Benjamin Hedges Award for Best Documentary. And then he said to me, I'm going to make a film called The Man from Hong Kong. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah, I would. So we became friends, Trenchard and I, and I invited him over to dinner one night. And uh, during dinner, he was mm-hmm. then, and during dinner he looked at me and he said, I've got the money. I said, what money? I've got the money for The Man from Hong Kong. Well, I leapt up off that table and rushed around the table and hugged him. And that was in the... 70s, I think it was. Yeah, the early 70s, and <laughs> men didn't hug each other in those days, but I was so damn excited. I just grabbed Trenchard, and he's so embarrassed that he pushed me away, you know. And But now we see each other, we hug each other at the top of the hat. But that was the beginning of our relationship. And um, so we did The Man from Hong Kong together, then we turkey shoot together, and uh, we've been mates ever since. We, we correspond all the time with, with friends, our wives are friends, you know. So he's a good friend so but he didn't ever talk about me as an actor he never asked me to he never he never told me how to act he just gave me a, a lead to do he gave me a head start to do what i like you know he never never pulled me up or never 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 directed me as such you know yeah uh, he's he's one of the people who I, I greatly admire. I love his films a lot, and and particularly Man from Hong Kong and Turkey Shoot in particular are just two absolute classic films. Um, yes, yeah, and uh, I I I wish that he were were held up into a high regard. Like uh, so often from that era, people talk about Peter Weir and Beresford and Skepsi, yeah. and they're they're great directors. But yeah, uh, what Trenchard Smith was doing was just uh, exactly. Next level. It was just, yeah, yeah. iconic stuff. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did some wonderful stuff, yeah. 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 It's a pity. But he's still, he's still writing. He'd love to come back and do some work here. But he's in America now, living, living in America. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I follow him on Facebook and, and getting to see his uh, the deer and stuff like that, that that live nearby his place is really nice. It uh, it's, looks like a lovely place that he's living, but uh, I do wish yeah. that he, he could make another Australian film uh, soon. And certainly, if you know, it would be great if you did it uh, together and all this kind of stuff would be absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, well, he's, yeah. he's such a legend, yeah. yeah. Well, we've got him involved. I, I'm, doing, I'm working on a project, a, a three or four part series, um, quite a comic series set in the 80s and Trenchard's come on board as director and producer so we're hoping to get that up but pretty tough times to get things running but uh, he is involved and he's very pleased to, to come back and direct that and produce that but we've got to get the money first before we can do that yeah, so he is, yeah. he is prepared to come back well uh, that's good that's the main mm, thing mm. well I've taken up a lot of your time and I really appreciate it because it's been a, a, a wonderful discussion about um, 
you know, Australian film and your work and everything like that has been a, a real treat, especially, uh, as I was saying, you know, I watch your films as I've grown up and, and you've been kind of part of uh, my filmic life in a lot of ways. So I, I appreciate the, uh, the the chance to be able to talk to you and, and take your time to talk about uh, your work. It really means a lot to, to me and to uh, other film, Australian Love film you. viewers out there as well. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that very much. No worries, and I'm I'm very excited to see what you got coming up as well, and 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 what you're working on as well. So uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye out. I'll be certainly looking for it. Okay, and thank you, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Roger. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. That was the great Roger Ward talking about his work on The Faceless Man, as well as a whole bunch of other Australian films that he's worked on over the past decades. It's really impressive to hear his variety of work that he's done working on films like The Set, Mad Max, uh, Man from Hong Kong, all the way up to Boar and Faces Man. He's really quite an interesting character. Hopefully you enjoyed this particular discussion and hopefully you enjoyed uh, getting to hear about what he does for a career and what he, how he approaches his work. I think that's really fascinating and interesting to hear about, especially as I mentioned during the discussion. He's somebody who's been part of my uh, film journey, my Australian film journey, and, and I've greatly appreciated being able to see him work in Australian film and seeing him uh, change over the years and see what roles he's engaged with and things like that. He's a very familiar face and one I enjoy watching on screen, and it's going to be great to see him continue that output there as well. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, head over to the website, thecurb.com.au, to hear other interviews and check out reviews and articles and things like that. Uh, there's a lot going on over there, a lot of Australian-focused stuff, as well as a lot of internationally-focused stuff, too. Uh, there's a lot of great things over there, so, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, follow us on social media, The Curb AU, on both Facebook and on Twitter. And if you want to go the extra step and, and help keep the website independent and alive, Head over to patreon.com forward slash the curb au for as little as a dollar a month. You can keep it going. Uh, that's enough from me, guys. Again, uh, as I echoed at the top there, stay safe, look after each other, and being kind to each other as well. There's a lot of uh, sadness and grief and, and, and turmoil going on right now. Uh, and for those who are in lockdown, try and uh, reach out to people if you need help and support and guidance and, and all this kind of stuff. Being alone. Uh, it's quite difficult and, and very hard, and, and uh, I know that, and as many other people know how that feels, and it's really important that we look out for each other and care for each other. So if you know of somebody who needs support and care, reach out to them, be that, that support guidance for them. Uh, it means a lot more than you may think of. Okay, guys, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Take care. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.